Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We bless you. Lord, we thank you as we come in Jesus' name and through his blood. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Where would we be today without the word of God? As we enter into praise and worship and the presence of God is so awesome here, Lord, we thank you for your precious Holy Spirit and all, all that your Holy Spirit is doing. But, Lord, we, we desperately need the word. And we thank you tonight for the word and as you speak through me that by the Holy Spirit, every person going to be hearing this, the Holy Spirit move on all of us and help us just to get focused and locked in, that we're not distracted, because it's easy to be distracted. But where people are at, driving down the road, they could be watching this live, but they may be podcasting this, they could be on an airplane, wherever people are, or that your Holy Spirit move upon every one of us and help us right now to get locked in and focused, to give you our best ear, our full attention, and that we will be good, fertile soil for the Word. As you speak through me, Lord, everything you want said is living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. I thank you for the winds of your Spirit carrying this out among the nations. It's going to get where it's supposed to, and it's going to accomplish what it's supposed to, because the Bible says it will not return void, but go forward and accomplish what you sent it forth to do. Lord, we thank you for this, and we know the birds of the air try to steal the seed. That's the demonic. So, Lord, we submit this unto you. We resist the devil. Anything that would try to hinder this word in any way, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You will back off right now. And, Lord, I thank you for your angels clearing all that out. There's no hindrance. There's no distractions. And we thank you for hearing it in the prayers over this service tonight and over the word of the Lord and everybody that's going to be hearing this. We thank you for everything accomplished in their lives that you will to be done as you speak through me what you want spoken tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're moving here in this, uh, this series I'm doing. I want to take my time with it, and we'll go very slowly and cover a lot of territory before it's over. But this is moving from curse to blessing, and at some point I need to get into in depth what a curse and what a blessing really is, because a lot of people don't know. But God's been kind of leading us up to a point. Um, tonight is still preparatory, but these are steps to freedom. And I want to talk about this tonight, and I believe God will really help people that'll hear this tonight. I really do. So picking up from last week, one of the things I want to say up front is you remember we talked about Jesus as the standard. And I can't help but think about the scripture when the enemy comes in like the flood, the Lord will raise up a standard. So last week we talked about Jesus as the standard and how in military times and times past, one individual would be trained to raise up in battle some kind of an insignia, some kind of a flag that would have an emblem on it that the soldiers could recognize. So when they were in the heat of battle, you understand back then, swords are, are flying people. And if they began to be defeated or scattered in any way, the general would command that the standard is raised so that wherever people are, they could look, and it would be above everybody's head so they could see it because it was up in the air. They could see the standard, and they, they would move out of chaos and confusion, you see. And everybody could rally to the standard, and then from there, they could regroup, regather, and then they could begin to march forward again. And it would take away the confusion. And I, I feel like that's what the Lord is saying in these latter days. There's going to be a lot of deception, a lot of confusion. But first and foremost, Jesus has got to be the standard that's lifted up. It's not going to be a lot of things that a lot of people make it. But if we will lift him up, 
the Bible's talking about the cross when it says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. But I do believe that you could use it in this capacity. If Jesus is lifted up as the standard, people will be drawn to him, you see. Not to personalities, not to buildings, not to money, not to charisma, not to all these entertain, all these different things. When Jesus is lifted up properly, people will be drawn to him, you see. And that's the key. And there's seven major attributes that Jesus needs to be seen. Number one is the Savior. Number two as the great healer. Number three is the great deliverer. How many knows Jesus had just as much a deliverance ministry as a healing ministry? Number four as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Number five is the head of the church. And as I mentioned last week, it's sad because I don't think he is allowed to, in many times to be the head the way he should be. So how, many, how different would it be today if every place that says they're a church, a gathering of believers, their leadership would fast and pray and seek the head of the church and say, Lord, what do you want us to do? And then they simply obeyed what he said. And that's not the way it is most of the time. Most of the time, people just do their own thing, and they say, Lord, bless what we're doing. But if Jesus is really the head of the church, that means he's making the decisions, and we submit to that. But see, not everybody submits to that. In fact, a lot of people don't. And then number five, or six, rather, that he is our great high priest who ever lives to make intercession. What would it be like if churches now, ministries, not just churches, ministries across the board, evangelistic ministries, missions-minded ministries, that all across the board, a great emphasis was put again on my house will be called a house of prayer. How different would things be if everything was undergirded by powerful prayer and intercession? See, when Jesus is lifted up and seen in his proper role, he is our great high priest right now at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession. But he will be number seven, the soon-coming king. And this will be where Gabriel's prophecy to Mary is fulfilled in that he will be the son of David who sits on the throne of his father David in Jerusalem to reign over the nations, you see. So when Jesus walked the earth, he more or less functioned as a prophet with signs and wonders following him, kind of like an Elijah. But toward the end, you could see his role beginning to really shift into the priestly. And he began to sweat drops of blood in deep intercession as a priest. Of course, he held Passover and gave the communion to us, and that's very priestly. And, of course, we know the cross was, everything about the cross was the priesthood. He was the lamb, but he also was the high priest that oversaw his own. It was awesome. So he was the priest. But as he died and raised from the dead, he moved into his role, a priestly role of an intercessor. But how many knows that that role is going to shift from being an intercessor to a king that rules with a rod of iron over the nations? And he's coming in that way soon. So there's seven attributes. When Jesus is lifted up as the standard and he's seen properly, not the way, and this is so important, not the way that somebody necessarily presents him to you. No. What does the Bible say about him? Not a Jesus that is presented to you because how many knows there's all kinds of false Christs out there? The Muslim Christ is not the Christ of the Bible. Hello? So there's a lot of different Christs that are preached even among some Christian circles, but when Jesus is seen, lifted up for who he really truly is, then 
That's the standard, and we will begin to see the power of God like never before. And I believe it will take away a lot of the confusion, a lot of the deception that's out there, because people can rally unto him the way we should be. And so number one, Jesus as the standard. So I'm talking about steps to freedom tonight, but how many knows that's number one? We've got to look to Jesus for who he really is. He's got to be the focus. And I I love, I remember this, when I went one time to see Benny Hinn back in the crusade days, back in the earth, sometime in the 90s, mid-90s when I went to see him. And people come there, you know, they're desperate for something, some kind of answered prayer. But the first thing he told them was, if you're coming here expecting something for me to do something, you're going to be disappointed. He said, I can't heal a fly if my life depended on it. He said, you need to get your focus upward on him because if you look to Jesus and grab hold of him, that's where healing flows, you see. But see, if that's what he was trying to get people to do. You look upward, you look to Jesus as the standard and your source for whatever you need. All right, secondly, when the birth of the church came, how did God birth the church? When Jesus raised from the dead and walked through the wall and appeared to him, he could have birthed the church right then. But Jesus said, no, no, wait in Jerusalem till what? You're clothed with power. So the birth of the church was at Pentecost. And it had to do with being baptized in the Holy Ghost, clothed with power. So God has poured out, God poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost and gave the fullness of the spirit. And that, the Holy Spirit is the one who is the life and the strength of the church. And continually, the devil has deceived the church of the ages to get away from the Holy Spirit. And what happens every time you get away from the Holy Spirit, you start supplementing him with everything else, programs, money, charismatic personalities, and all these different things. And, and so, and they're not really effective. I mean, people think they are, but they're not. What's really effective is the Holy Ghost coming in and moving in power. The Holy Spirit can do in an altar time in five minutes what will never be accomplished in 35 years of counseling. You know it's true. And so the Holy Spirit is the life of the church. And every time that God has sought to restore or to bring the church back to where it needed to be or to restore truths, etc., historically, Every time, it's come during the times of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's how God does that. He restores by the Spirit. So the church is supposed to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our midst. So just as there's seven attributes of Jesus being lifted up as the standard, there's seven attributes of the Holy Spirit that you see in the menorah, and that is the Spirit of the Lord and the Spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, Knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And when the, how many knows we need the Holy Spirit to come in the fullness? You, you want the menorah of your church to have all seven branches lit of the Holy Spirit coming in in all the fullness of the Spirit, okay? That's what we need. And when the Holy Spirit is among us, how many knows that lives are going to be changed? How many can say with all certainty, that in River of Life and maybe other places you've been, but when the Holy Spirit was at work in there, you can say, Pastor, I can honestly say that the Holy Spirit, by the power of God in my life, has been changed. But I came one way, 
and by the Spirit, I was changed, and my life is different. How many can say that? Many times. I can say that many times myself. We need the Holy Spirit in our midst, okay? And a lot of people want to relegate him out the door, and we, Holy Spirit, you know, we don't need you. We got this. We got a good show we can put on. But at the end of the day, it's not really going to bear eternal fruit. We need the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something else, and I know River of Life, you know this, but people can't even get saved without the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? No man can come but the Father draw him, and the Father draws him by the Spirit. So when you throw the Holy Spirit out, you may think you're getting people saved, but what you're getting is people joining your group. Hello? So Jesus as the standard and the Holy Spirit moving in our midst. When the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to move in power, what is the Holy Spirit going to do? Well, first and foremost, we know Jesus said he doesn't come to glorify himself, he comes to glorify me. So even as the Holy Spirit comes among us, the Holy Spirit is one of his primary functions is he is going to try to get everybody looking upward to Jesus as the standard. All right, and so I'm going somewhere with this. Just follow me. The next thing I want to talk about is great faith in the completed work of the cross. How many knows that the cross is enough? God had one solution once and for all for humanity, and that's the cross. Everything that we need in life, everything was taken to the cross whether it be deliverance, healing, provision, whatever, obviously salvation, forgiveness of sins, everything was once and for all. So it wasn't like several different things. Jesus did all of it at one time complete. So everything was on him and went down in the grave, resurrected life, and we experienced that ourselves. So the Bible says this in Mark 3:27, but no man can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first ties up the strong man and then he can plunder his house. So we know that you have to plunder the enemy, but we have to understand the completed work of the cross. And there's five things that I always try to do daily in my prayer time. I like to take communion by myself and a lot of times in the evening now, my wife and I will take it together. But I hope everybody will give me your best ear just for a couple minutes here as I say this. See, I'm going to talk a little bit about faith as we end this out. But let me just say something about faith. A lot of, faith can be somewhat of a mystery. But a lot of people don't really understand faith because they think that it's mental agreement. They hear something, go, yes, that's right, and they think that they believe it. Faith is not in the head. Faith is in the heart. So... How do you get faith? How do you get heart faith? See, the Bible says, what the heart man believes, and then what the mouth confession is made. And so the pattern is, if for us to be called to see mountains move, you don't have to have great faith. You just have to have faith the size of a mustard seed to move mountains. The Bible says that. But here's how faith gets in you Faith is developed over time as you meditate on and you chew on the Word of God, and it finally gets out of your head and sinks down into your heart. And that takes some time to do that. That's why I remember 
I remember one time I was at a nursing home, and this man was very elderly, and um, I'll never forget this. It was really precious. He was very elderly, and you knew that he was in the twilight of his life. And um, I remember as we were going through just kind of praying for people, he felt so connected and drawn to us, something in him. And I found out later that he used to be a Pentecostal preacher. And not only that, but I've seen people that had gotten really elderly, and you go to talk to them, and all of a sudden what starts coming out of their mouth, I mean, it just comes out Scripture. They just start quoting Scripture, Scripture. And what, what happened is over time of them meditating on the Word, it got down in their spirit. You see, it gets out of the head and into the heart. And once you have heart faith, this is important what I'm saying. Even if the enemy bombards your mind with doubts and fears and tries to bombard your mind with discouragement, that does not mean that you're not in faith. Because your faith is deeper than that warfare of the mind. Did y'all hear what I just said? Your faith is not in that warfare of the mind area where the enemy's trying to assail your mind. I mean, fiery darts, it's a battle. You're trying to renew your mind. You're trying to focus your mind on the word and what God has told you. But man, it is a battleground there. But see, your faith isn't in that realm, really. Your faith is in your heart where there's a peace down in you that you know. You know what God said, and you know that God is doing it. And so how do you get faith in your heart? Well, something that I do with my wife in the evening, and even if we can't, I do this every day pretty much, is as I take communion, there's five different categories. I take communion, I speak these things out loud. And I believe it's very powerful what I'm saying because there's about probably seven or eight different things that are accomplished in this. But not the least of which is this, it's developing faith. It strengthens our faith as we meditate on the word, as we speak the word, right? But there's other things that are accomplished as I'm doing this because I'm bringing my life and my family under the blood of Jesus fresh, you see? And I'm speaking the word of God over our lives. And there's other things. As you do this, you can drive the enemy away, etc. But I want to focus on the faith aspect. As I'm taking communion, the first thing I start thinking about is in the church uh, Corinthians, Paul said, our Passover lamb, has, his blood has been shed. And when people go back into your mind and think about this for a moment, here we are in the latter days, 2 Timothy 3. I mean, perilous times, we're seeing it, we're seeing all these different things in the world going on. But Paul said this, he said, the blood of our Passover lamb has been shed. And when you go back in that story, you realize there was one lamb and the blood painted on the doorpost and everybody under that roof was protected. Death and destruction had to pass over. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 right hand, right? But it can't come near you because you're under the blood, right? Now I know that speaks of secret place dwellers. But it's a principle there that the blood brings great protection. And so as I start speaking out scriptures about the blood of Jesus and making faith confessions, you know, we, because we, I'm bringing my family, children, grandchildren, my family, our church, I'm bringing all of us under the blood. As I take this, Lord, the blood of our Passover lamb, I paint this over us right now. 
spirit, soul, and body, our hearts and minds, our health, our finances, our relationships, all of river of life, I bring all of us under the blood of our Passover lamb. The enemy cannot steal, kill, or destroy. He cannot bring death or destruction. It has to pass over because we're under the blood. We are redeemed by the blood of the lamb out of the hand of every enemy. And I'm speaking that out in faith, quoting some scriptures, and by faith, I'm bringing us under the blood. I'm telling you, it strengthens your faith when you do this every day. Secondly, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. The Bible says, and I start quoting scripture about it, you know, that he was pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. The punishment that brought peace with God was on him. And the Bible says that God made him who knew no sin become sin for us, that through him were made the righteousness of God in Christ. He bore his body our sins, were dead to sin, alive unto righteousness. The blood is sprinkling that cleanses us, cleanses our conscience. And I, and I even speak up in the heavens in the courtroom where the accuser of the brethren tries to accuse us. How does he accuse us? By saying that we're sinning or whatever. But you know what? I make a declaration even in the courts at this time that bottom line, every accusation of the devil is canceled right now by the blood of Jesus because the Bible says that I am forgiven. If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just, forgive me for my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And his blood declares me the righteousness of God in Christ. So any accusation of the enemy before God is canceled by the blood of Jesus. It is settled. And that right there strengthens your faith, doesn't it? Because we know what the word says about us. You know, the Bible says we can come with confidence. King James says boldly. But what that means is you can come with confidence before the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. You know why a lot of times people won't do that is because they feel unworthy. That's a problem. If you feel unworthy, then you don't know what Jesus did for you at the cross. I understand that none of us deserve to be saved. I'm not saying that, but we got to get over that. Bottom line is the blood washes me. I'm in a blood covenant, and I can come with confidence knowing that I am the righteousness of God in Christ, that I am a child of God. I am in a blood covenant with him, and he promises me that I can approach him in time of need and receive help, and he'll answer my prayers. So we've got to have some kind of a confidence, not in ourselves, not in our righteousness, but in what Jesus did on the cross, and a godly confidence in the word. What does the Bible say about me? Number three, then I begin to move to Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse under the law. You know how powerful, how powerful this is? That everything, Satan's kingdom, all of his influence, his oppression, his works in the way of, of sickness, disease, oppression against health, oppression, mental oppression, emotional oppression, financial suppression, Division in relationships, et cetera, et cetera. You can look at the curses under the law. There's nine categories. I don't have time to get humiliation, barrenness, unfruitfulness, failure, defeat, oppression, all that. Poverty, mental illness, all these things. That's a curse under the law. So when you understand that the oppression of the enemy is a curse under the law, and Christ redeemed us from the curse under the law, so that the blessings given to Abraham come on us. So there's the divine exchange. Once again, God gave one solution for humanity, and it was the cross. And it's all-inclusive. All Everything you would need is on that cross. So Satan's oppression in whatever area of life went on him as he hung on that tree and became a curse for you and me. You understand that? 
It went on him. Now the divine exchange, now that it's on him, we receive now the blessings given to Abraham. And once people maybe memorize these categories, and you can go through them, we're the head, not the tail, top and not the bottom. The Bible says that, that you exaltation and promotion. We need to understand what the Bible says about us. See how this builds your faith. Even me talking like this builds your faith, doesn't it? Why? Because we're speaking the word of God. And then not only exaltation and promotion, but healing and health. The blessings given to Abraham have to do with healing and health. Number three, long life upon the earth. What does the Bible say? I'll bless your food and drink. I'll remove sickness out of your midst. None will be bearing no miscarry. The number of your days will be in full upon the earth. And goes on to say you'll go to the grave full of years and full of vigor like sheaves gathered in season. And there's many other scriptures I could quote, but you get the idea. And then it moves over to what? Prosperity and abundance. I'll rebuke the devourer. I'll open the heavens. Pour out blessings. There's not room enough to contain. Nations will rise to call you blessed. Of course, there's a connection there with us obeying God and our tithes and offerings. I understand that. But there's blessings that come on our finances. There's blessings that come of fruitfulness. How many knows that God wants our lives to be fruitful, not sterile? Sterile is where nothing is happening. But fruitfulness is where every area of your life is, is productive. Okay, and so the, the natural that you saw to Israel was that their, you know, fruit trees and their vineyards and their, their fields of weed, etc., was fruitful. It was productive. And so God is wanting every area of your life to be fruitful. And then favor. This is important. The Bible says the favors around the righteous like a shield. One of the blessings given to Abraham is favor. And that you have favor everywhere you go and everything you do. That God will give you favor. How many knows we need favor? When you go places and deals and opportunities, etc., you need favor. And finally, victory over your enemies. The enemies may come at you in one direction, but they'll be smitten and flee before you in seven. And I, I love this, but see, in, was it Matthew 16, when it talks about, I'll give you the keys of um, the kingdom, and whatever you bind will be bound, loose will be loose. Well, see, that's when it says the gates of hell will not prevail, that's not talking about us standing here trying to guard, and we're on this defensive as hell's just onslaughting us. That's not what it's saying there in the Greek at all. What it actually implies is that we, we are going to the gates of the enemy and tearing them down, and they will not prevail against us. So it's not a defensive thing, it's an offensive thing. But you have to know who you are in Christ. And so I began to quote the scriptures about all of Satan's influence was on him. And now we're blessed with the blessings given to Abraham. And we will walk in those blessings and fruitfulness. And then the fifth or fourth category, I move into about healing. By his stripes, we are healed. My wife and I have seen many times where God healed us and healed others. Healing is in the atonement. It's not just something that was uh, random, I'll heal whoever I want to heal, etc. It wasn't like that. It went on the cross once and for all, one solution for all of humanity done at the cross. Amen? By his stripes you were healed. And there's so many scriptures there. There's scriptures about how the Lord um, will send his word and heal you. The Bible says he watches over his word to perform it. That we will lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. We'll cast out demons. We'll anoint with oil the prayer of faith to bring healing. There's scriptures about, I am the Lord, thy God, who heals you. Psalm 103, the benefits. 
He forgives all of our iniquity, heals all our diseases. He crowns us with loving kindness, tender mercies, delivers our lives from destruction, satisfies our lives with good things, renews our youth as the eagle. There's so many scriptures about healing, but I love Isaiah 58 because River of Life is a praying, fasting church. And so this is actually applicable to you, River of Life, as people of prayer and fasting. The Bible says this, you will call unto me and I'll answer you. Cry out to me, say, here I am. It also says he would make us as a well-watered garden whose springs don't fail. So there's perpetual revival and strengthening our frame. But then it says he will arise with healing. He says your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing quickly appear. Your righteousness go before you. The glory of the Lord your rear guard. What does that mean? Malachi, he will arise with healing in his wings to you. And wings there means like shining rays of light in the Hebrew. So the Lord arises with healing in his wings to heal. And so there's a lot of scriptures you could quote about healing. And then finally, I think about a deep priestly consecration, that God deeply consecrate us unto him, that our lives are not only under the blood in the way of a protection, but that we are deeply cleansed and pure. There's no defilement. There's no pollution on us from this world, etc. that our garments are without spot or blemish, and that we will be wise virgins with extra oil, ready to meet the Lord in the air. And so these five categories, I encourage you, River of Life, if you're taking notes, because I see the tops of heads, which is a good thing, because you're reading the notes, but write in there to look up a bunch of scriptures about these and begin every day when you take communion to speak those scriptures out loud. And as you meditate on those scriptures and speak them over and over and over, you know what's going to happen? The picture there is meditating on the word. It's going to get down. David said, I've hid it in my heart. It's going to move down into your spirit, and it's going to anchor your life in great faith. And no matter what the enemy does, when you know what the word says and you know what God's wanting to do, it's not going to affect you because your heart is anchored in faith. So, now I'm going to give you the next thing. I'm talking about moving into freedom. See, there's kind of a process in this. My wife and I, many times people come to us and they need to be delivered from things and we have a questionnaire and that people can fill it out and then we'll pray with them. But you know, that's kind of a one-size-fits-all. It just, it's there. It helps a lot of people. A lot of people tell us afterward they feel totally different. I felt something leave. I, I feel really clean. I feel free. All of that. But then it gets into specifics. Because they may have got delivered from a lot of things, but then it's like, okay, there's specific things in their particular life or their family bloodline. There's something still maybe they're going to have to get victory over that this one-size-fits-all prayer is it's beyond that. And so there comes a place where you've got to hear from God for yourself. And let me tell you about a life of faith. It's going to be very difficult to really live a life of faith unless you have a living relationship with him. Because you have to be able to hear from him. Do you remember when the centurion came to Jesus? He said, Lord, my servant needs to be healed. And Jesus said, I haven't seen such great faith because he told the Lord, you don't have to come, just say the word. But here's the thing. He went to the Lord and he talked to him. And then the Lord said, go, it'll be done. He, that was the word. That spoken word, go, it will be done. The centurion just believed right then 
He didn't see any difference, didn't feel anything different, I'm sure. Just Jesus said, go, it will be done. The centurion received that by faith, and he turned and went as though it was done. But it came out of relationship. See, there's going to be times where you need to hear from God what's going on and why is it going on. How do I get from where I am to where we need to be? And God's going to show you some things. So the next step here, Luke 10, 19, I've given you authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Powerful scripture. But to have this breakthrough to overcome, there's basically three areas I want to mention. Number one is, is you've got to cancel the legal ground. Now, this is across the board. Let me just give you kind of a couple examples about this. So this could apply to an individual, whatever, but let me start saying it this way. Let's say that you have a piece of land out there, several acres, and that land was just simply there. There was nothing about it. Nobody had lived there, etc. But one day, there was some people out there, and they committed a murder on the land, and the blood was shed on that land, and the body was buried and hidden there, and now that land has been defiled. And so now that land used to just simply be there. There was nothing about it, but now it's defiled spiritually. And hear what I'm saying. Because of what happened there, there was like a door that opened to the enemy, and spirits now have legal ground to occupy that land until a Christian comes in and deals with it. And a witch burning her little sage ain't going to do nothing but bring more demons. It's going to take somebody who has authority with God. And so... <clears throat> that land has been polluted. There's a door that's open. There can now be demonic spirits that feel they have a legal claim because of the sin that was there. It's the exact same principle with any type of a structure from a little tiny house. How many have seen the tiny houses now? <laughs> from a tiny house all the way to some huge, massive campus, thousands of feet big, huge campus, any type of a structure where there's been something there that spiritually defiled it and opened the door. Could be any number of things. Could be witchcraft was practiced there. Could be there was violent crimes or something else, sexual immorality. There's a lot of different things that could have defiled it and opened a door. So there's legal ground. Let me keep going with this. Same thing with uh, family bloodlines. You see... Somebody in a family bloodline can do things that has brought a defilement on the family bloodline. And it's opened a door to the family. And now there are spirits that traffic in the family bloodline and they, they're people are oppressed. And of course, the same thing for an individual. If they themselves have gotten involved in certain things, that defiled them and opened a door, the enemy has entered their life and is at work, whether in, on, around them, whatever. There's some kind of demonic thing at work in their life. So the first thing you've got to do 
to really get free is you need to deal with that legal ground. And so let's go back to the first example about the land. Now, if you're dealing with this, I might as well say this in passing, but if somebody owns that land that they themselves are not going to deal with it, let's say that somebody bought that land that is, let's say that they're deeply involved in the occult, they don't want that land messed with by a Christian, they like it the way it is, etc. that land isn't going to be free. But let me say this, if a Christian buys that land, you can cleanse that land. What you got to do is you got to, by the Holy Spirit, show you why. See, this is the key. This is where relationship comes in with the Lord. Why is this like this? And God will help you figure it out somehow what opened the door. Because once you know, okay, there was a, a violent crime, there was a murder here, you can go out there now that you own that land or you have permission by the owner of the land to go out there. And you can say before the Lord, Lord, we ask forgiveness for the blood that's been shed here. We repent of the sin of this land, and we ask you to cleanse this land from this bloodshed, this murder. We ask your forgiveness. See, that right there is clearing away the legal permission the enemy has to that land. And as a Christian, you have authority now. Now you can say in Jesus' name, I destroy off this land any type of a curse or any work of the devil that's here. I shut the door that was opened by the blood of Jesus right now. And I command whatever spirits have been on this land to be bound and leave this land and never come back. And that right there will deliver the land. Okay, it's the same principle, whether it be some kind of a structure, whether it be a family bloodline, whether it be an individual, you've got to deal with the legal ground. If you don't deal with that, legal permission, You could go out to that land. You bought that land. There's something not quite right. You can feel it. You know it. There's an oppression. You can go out there every day and say, in Jesus' name, I command this stuff to leave this land, and it may leave for a day and then come right back. And you wonder, why in the world am I wrestling this? Because the legal ground is not dealt with. Is this making sense tonight? This is important what I'm sharing. This is why many people never get the victory is because they never discern legal rights. So number one, deal with the open door. Number two, once you deal with the legal ground, and that better be dealt with, number one, that has to be dealt with, then and only then, you can take authority. You can destroy the works of the devil. Because see, I'll give you an example. When that land, when that blood was shed on that land, that murder was committed, because of that, it brought like a curse on the land. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Brings a curse on the land. A curse and a blessing, I don't have time to really get into it, but it's a powerful force, uh, like an energy, uh, some kind of a, a curse, a negative force, energized words, something that is oppressive, like a dark cloud, that's on that land. And it's there because of the blood that was shed. So I'm trying to paint a picture tonight. I'm hoping this helps people. There's blood in that soil that that was shed. It's murder. It's sin. Therefore, a blanket of like a curse is on that land. And that curse is there. And because of that curse, demon spirits can traffic in and off that land, causing all kinds of problems. People buy that land, build a house, and they, all of a sudden their marriage is in strife. 
All of a sudden, their kids can't sleep at night. They're having nightmares. People come and visit, and they say they saw some weird apparition in the hallway. All these crazy things happen. They wonder, why is this going on? The land is polluted. There's a curse on the land. Demons are trafficking. If you deal with the legal ground, As a Christian, trust me, you can drive that stuff right out, cleanse that land, and it'll become a place that's free from the enemy and a place where God's glory dwells. Amen? So cancel the legal ground, destroy the works of the devil. So once that legal ground is cleansed, then you can say, Father, I release this land from any curse. Destroy the works of Satan. And number three, drive out the enemy. So everybody say this with me. Number one, cancel legal ground. Number two, destroy the works. And number three, drive him out. So when you drive out the enemy, though, let me tell you, you got to deal with the strong man first. Now, this can be another annoyance. If you're trying to deal with the little, the little uh, <laughs> troll demons, you're trying to deal with the little ones, and you're not dealing with the boss, Um, you're not going to get anywhere. Jesus said that you have to bind the strong man. Once you bind the strong man and you discern the strong man, the underlings will flee. But deal with the strong man first. For example, let's say that you're dealing with somebody and you pray for them and their health and you realize that you're coming up against some kind of a spirit. It's not just a natural thing. There's a spirit behind it. And so as you're praying for them, you begin to command sickness to leave, etc., etc. You try to take authority over a spirit, and, and you're like, I command a spirit of such and such because they're dealing with that sickness to leave, but nothing seems to budge. And you're like, why won't this move? There's a strong man. Could be a spirit of death, could be a spirit of infirmity, but there's a strong man. And before you can deal with that strong man, you got to go back to what I first said. Legal ground has to be canceled then the works of Satan destroyed, then you can drive the enemy out, but you have to drive him out strong man first. And so as you're praying for them, God may speak to you, the strong man is in fact a spirit of infirmity. And then you command that spirit of infirmity to leave and it will flee and sickness will go with it. But it could be about anything. It doesn't have to be about health-related issues. It could be mental illness. It could be emotional torment. It could be strife in a family. See, If somebody, let me give you another example. Let's say that a family, that somebody in the ancestry committed adultery and then they caused a divorce and they caused the destruction of family. Their children were really traumatized. They were little. They were traumatized by the whole ordeal. It was a mess. And then you see that a couple generations down, you see that the family, there's a lot of marital problems a lot of problems with people not being able to get along. Maybe whenever they even try to get together for some kind of family reunion, there's a lot of fights that break out. Sometimes maybe even the cops have to be called. And not only that, but people, their marriages are in turmoil. See, what happened is, is that that individual through adultery and through what happened brought defilement into the family blood. It brought a generational curse there. And now there's demonic spirits that traffic in that family of divorce. Are y'all hearing me? Strife. People can't get along. Division. And what needs to happen is once somebody gets saved, they need to go up in that bloodline and say, Father, I ask forgiveness 
for the adultery and all that happened, we bring all that under the blood of Jesus. We repent of it. And I release me and my family from this curse. We're not going to live under any generational curse. Jesus took it, Galatians 3.13. He took it on the cross. So we put it on the cross. I break this off my life, and I command any spirits that's been coming against me and my wife and family that's been trying to divide us, I command you be bound. You will leave us from this day forward and not come back. In the name of Jesus. And you can drive all that stuff out. Jesus paid for victory, but we've got to lay a hold of it. And so do you see how sometimes you're not going to be able to really live a life of the faith that you need to and the victory you need to unless you have a relationship? Because there's going to be times that you don't know why something's going on unless God shows you. Do you see what I'm saying? There's times that we need the Lord to speak to us. Why have we not got our breakthrough? Why has this been so stubborn? What's going on? And if you have a relationship with him, and you speak to him, and he speaks to you, he can show you things, and he'll help us. But we've got to have that relationship. And let me say a couple more things. Um, The importance also of deep consecration. So once you, once wherever it is, let's say in your personal life as an individual, you accept Christ as your Savior, but you look back in your history and you did everything wrong. I mean, you had all kinds of problems. You, you lied, you stole, you did this, that, and the other. And you, you realized that, man, I really opened the door to the devil several times in my life. Most people can say that. I did all these, all these things. I, I slept around. You know, my, my ex and I, we had an abortion. I, I, was, I did drugs. I was an addict. I, I did all these things. And I know now that I opened the door to the enemy in my life. I defiled my life. And because of the the sin and the pollution, it brought a curse. There's strongholds, there's addictions, there's bondages, there's works of Satan, and there's evil spirits. And what you got to do is you got to go back and you got to cancel the legal ground. Go through all of that. Bring it under the blood. Lord, I repent of all this sexual immorality all these areas where I slept with people and I did this and I did that, I bring it under the blood, I repent before you. When you do that, you cancel legal ground. Then you can break the power of the enemy. I sever every soul tie. I release myself from any stronghold or curse. I command the spirits that's been at work in my life of lust and bondages to these things. You will leave me. Whatever came in through sexual immorality, you will leave my life and quit tormenting me in Jesus' name. But you have to do it systematically because if you try to drive it out, but you haven't confessed and repented of the sin, they're not going anywhere. The blood of Jesus is what cleanses us and liberates us. So you can cleanse your life and your family, etc. But then after you're free, you're delivered from things then you need to be deeply consecrated. This is so important what I'm saying here because a lot of times, I think unfortunately a lot of deliverance ministries maybe don't necessarily do this. But when my wife and I used to do more of these deliverance sessions back years ago, God was using us more in this way. But we would lead people through deep repentance and all of that. And at the end of it, you know, it's like, look, guys, you need to consecrate yourself unto God. You need to be water immersed. And I was surprised how many people had accepted the Lord and never been water immersed. 
And so we would always have something available where somebody could fill up a body of water and we would immerse them. But I'm going to tell you, that is powerful. So here's, here's some things. Number one, deep repentance. Make sure that you really get on your face, do some fasting, that you forgive everybody that's ever wronged you, and you confess all of your sin. Okay? How many knows that's important? We need to really get on our face and deeply repent of all the stuff we've ever done. We had spent some time with it. Go back through your history. What all have you done to defraud people, to sin against God, to sin against people? All the things and really deeply repent and believe that he's faithful and just to forgive you from all that junk. You realize how, trust me, there is such a freedom on the other side of that. You see, in times of great revival, That has been the work of the Holy Spirit. He brings repentance. And there's story after story after story of reading accounts of revival under Wesley's ministry, Cane Ridge, Hebrides, all of them, where you would hear things like this is extremely common, where the Holy Spirit would just move into a room and people fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They began to weep and wail as all their sin was brought to their mind. And they, many of them fell on the floor and just wailed and cried out to God for mercy, forgive me. And they would go through this process of deep repentance. Then those that were present said at some point it began to turn because you would see their countenance begin to radiate with joy. And you would start hearing laughter. And people would get up so free and so excited. They'd be praising God, some of them laughing in the spirit. Why? Because of the liberty that came after that. So deep repentance. Number two, I recommend seasons of fasting. We do this as a church. And it's funny because um, fasting is so powerful. But if you want to hear excuses... Preacher, those that you want to hear excuses, start talking about fasting. Everybody's got their reasons they don't want to do it. But it, it, gets, it gets that flesh under, doesn't it? But anyway, we have a good group of people that fast here. But let me tell you, fasting will accomplish things that nothing else will. Fasting really breaks down the, the, you know, the flesh, how the flesh has control of a lot of people. It liberates people. It, in, many, in many ways, it destroys things that the devil's had in people. There's something about seasons of fasting. Number three, I recommend that you apply the blood to your life every day. Not that you have to do it because, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be attacked or something. I'm not saying that. But I think, that if, I think it's wisdom to bring your life under the blood of Jesus fresh daily, in my opinion. Because there's great protection, but there's also we can come into the deep place of God's glory by the blood. How many knows that it's not your righteousness? I think sometimes people come in and they, they want to get all radical and jump up and down and all that and praise, and I love praise. Believe me, I love the jumping up and down. I love radical praise. And people get all worked up and they think they're going to get into God's presence. Let me tell you, praise is awesome. Radical free praise is awesome. But you're never going to get into the deep place of God's glory except by the blood. And that's not something you work up. That's something you yield to. Look, we receive the blood over our lives, and we come through Jesus' name and his blood into the glory of God. And yes, praise and worship, prayer and intercession is very important, but the blood is what gets you into the glory and brings great protection over your life. And the next one, I would say how important it is for water immersion. And it it saddens me because, you know, 
the old timers back in the day, I still remember some of this, but the old timers, you can read accounts of revival history. They understood the power of water immersion. And they would have water immersion, water baptism services, and people become that had been baptized, you know, 23 times. Everybody come out there. Everybody was getting baptized. You know what? Let me tell you what happened. They had testimonies after testimonies after testimonies of healings and miracles, signs and wonders, deliverances. Read the accounts. Go back and study revival history. See, people, unfortunately, just like everything else, Satan has got people in so much bondage to religion. Have y'all realized that? Satan has got people thinking that you, he's got a lot of people scared to even take communion that you're going to die. You take communion, you're not perfect. Satan's got them thinking they're going to drop dead on the way home. <laughs> or he's got some places so much in bondage that they never take the Lord's Supper. And if they do, it's like every six months. All that's religion. And they think, well, you know, you've got to take communion at church, and it's got to be administered by a professional clergy. Show me that in the Scriptures, and I'll buy it. It's not in there, you see. And it's the same exact thing with water immersion. Satan has got it so bound up and religious and locked up, there's no power. I mean, zero. A lot of places, it's just a dead religious ritual that somebody does because they profess faith in Christ. People come, they take their little pictures. It's a quick little dunk, and everybody, hey, and they go. Listen, water immersion is actually a lot more powerful than that if people would understand what they're really doing. There is a deep consecration. There is a destruction of Satan's kingdom. There is a liberty on the other side of him. Also, the anointing with oil. How powerful is that? The Bible even shows us multiple places in the New Testament. You remember how Jesus sent out the 70? Did you know in the book of Mark, it talks about that they went through and they had little vials of oil they brought with them. And they would anoint people with oil that were healed and demons left them. Did you know that? Did you know that in the New Testament church that the book of James talks about, look, if somebody's sick, let them come to the front, get the elders, they'll anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith will bring healing. So there is a power in this, not just healing, but to consecrate. So the blood, the water, and the anointing with oil are three things that God uses to deeply consecrate his people. He uses those as means of sanctification, and deliverance. That just, it is. I've seen so many times through the years where people, I can tell legitimate stories of where people took communion and were healed or delivered. Number two, I could tell multiple stories of people myself, water immersed them, they've been immersed before, and I can tell stories of where I saw for myself that they were either healed of something, or they were delivered from an evil, tormenting spirit in their life. Number three, I can tell multiple stories of where I've anointed people with oil and prayed over them, and they were supernaturally healed and or delivered from evil spirits. I could tell stories. I've seen it with my eyes. See, this is the power that God wants this at work in the church, but you know what? Again, 
Satan has got all these religious spirits, got people in so much bondage that you don't ever even see it in God's house, do you? In a lot of places, how frequently have you taken the Lord's Supper outside of River of Life? In a lot of places, isn't water immersion just a dead ritual? And also in a lot of places, you don't even ever even see somebody break out anointing oil. You can't tell me that that's God because the Bible says to do these things. The next one is, what about the baptism in the Holy Spirit? You see, we, we command what the enemies had in people to leave. That's awesome. But what about getting them now filled with the Holy Spirit? You see, we need the infilling and the baptism in the Holy Spirit that empowers us. And finally, placing blessings upon people. I'll talk more about this in another sermon. I don't have time, but you take off them some kind of a curse, well, you need to put on them the blessing of the Lord. You need to put it on them. And that, that's something I'll have to explain in another sermon. So it's one thing to get the enemy out. It's another thing to deeply consecrate somebody and to replace what the enemies had. Don't leave a void. Replace it, you see. And so I'm going to give just a couple more things as I'm closing out. But I want you to think about something. We're living in the end-time church. Satan wants a corrupt worldwide political system that he can completely control. And we know that eventually that's going to happen under the Antichrist system. And he wants to be worshipped by the whole world. And we know again that the false prophet will help make sure that happens eventually. So he wants a worldwide political system that he can completely control and through that control everybody. That's what he's after. And he wants to be worshipped by the entire world. Things are rapidly moving that direction. Moral depravity is rising in the world as predicted in 2 Timothy 3. The world will continue to get darker and ultimately embrace this false trinity where Lucifer is like the dragon, he's like God a false god, and the Antichrist is a false messiah, false Christ, and the false prophet is a counterfeit to the Holy Spirit. It's an evil trinity. The church, though, before this happens, the church will see major revival. We're right at it. I believe it's about to break forth. And that major move of God will be the last move to give people an opportunity to get things right with God before the world goes into the tribulation, okay? The church will see a major, major revival that will prepare God's remnant to meet him in the air. This revival will drive back the tides of darkness and yield the end-time harvest. And God will pour out his spirit on all flesh and give everybody one more chance. But after this, there'll be a catching away of a remnant and the world will be thrust into a level of darkness not seen since the days of Noah. Now, I want to say a couple things as I close. That's very important, so I want everybody to please hear me. I'm at the end here. But the days of Noah, I could say a lot here. We know there was great violence. We know that the fallen angels came down, were procreating with women, producing the Nephilim. And with that, there's no doubt that the occult witchcraft was unbelievably rampant. Great violence, incredible evil in the earth. We know that. But yet there was a righteous remnant. Everybody say righteous remnant. 
And God saw that in Noah and his family, but if you read the account, God referenced Noah. Isn't it interesting that God referenced Noah, but yet his wife and kids and their wives came with him? Let me tell you something. You need to understand that everybody does have to accept Jesus themselves as a Savior. It's an individual thing. I understand that, but you have to also understand that your prayers will bring them to where they need to be. Did you know that if you'll intercede for your kids and your grandkids, that God will move upon them to save them. God honors that. He will do a work in them. And so Noah was the one God referenced, but Noah wasn't going to go alone. He brought his family. Let me tell you, you need to bring your family in through your intercession. All right, so for us to be free and be victorious, we need to get everything cleared get everything dealt with in our lives. We need to be used mightily by God, and we need to meet, be ready to meet him in the air. Those three things. Number one, we're going to have to really get freed up from the enemy's influence. Number two, God wants to use us mightily in this revival and harvest that's coming. But for us to be used, we're going to have to be free. Did y'all catch that? We need to be free so that we can be able to be used. And then finally, God is wanting to prepare us to meet him in the air. Now, I'm going to say these two things that I feel are important. So about faith. When we know, the Bible says if you pray the will of God, you know that God hears you. And if he hears you, you have what you ask. But this is how faith works, and this is important. So River of Life, please hear me because... This is applicable whether it be to your, you're praying about finances, you're praying about some kind of a health issue, you're praying about some other need. Um, it can be about things that God's wanting to do corporately in a church. When you pray about things, you have to understand that faith is a substance of things that's hoped for. But here's the thing, you're praying for something and you know that you're praying the will of God. There has to come a point in time as you're praying that you believe because, see, as you have a relationship, some of you will know what I'm talking about. As you have a relationship with the Lord, that you talk to him, he talks to you, and you have a developed relationship. You can pray about things, and you can feel in your spirit when you've prayed about it, and God's heard you, and it's done. But that only comes out of relationship. Once you've got to that place, you need to stop praying the way you were praying, and now you need to start praying this way. Lord, I thank you that you've heard me and that this is in fact happening even though I don't see it yet. That's very important. See, when you pray and you believe that it's done and you pray the will of God and he's heard you, he know, you know he's heard you, you have what you ask, what happens is, is this. You may not see it yet and you may not feel it yet, but Faith is a literal substance. So everybody look this way. Faith is just like, I'm going to use this cloth here as an example. You prayed about it, and you know you're praying the will of God. You know these heard you, and you know that it's, it's done. You've prayed about it, okay? Now, there's a substance there of faith that you have. Now, this is like a check. Somebody writes you a check. You, have, you don't actually have the cash yet, but you kind of do because you have the check. 
You see what I'm saying? And so now that you have this, you've got to do like Abraham, that the apostle Paul was referencing him and said, he called things that are not as though they were. So you begin to speak out, Lord, I thank you that you've heard my prayers about this. Lord, I thank you that you are at work to save my son or daughter or to do this or do that. I've prayed about it. I know it's your will. I know that your word says it's your will. I've already prayed about it. I don't see it yet, but I thank you that I do have it, and it is at work. It is happening. And see, as long as you're doing that, you're in faith, and there's a forward momentum, and this, this, it's like a substance that you have that eventually, as you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and you keep believing, and you keep confessing faith, and you stay in faith, eventually, the towel will be, this substance of faith will be replaced with the actual answer, and you'll see it, and then you'll rejoice because the mountain has been moved. But what needs to happen is this. Here you are in a faith journey that you know that God's heard you and you know that in faith that you do have it. You know that. It's settled in you. This isn't a head thing. This is a heart thing. You have heart faith. You know God's heard you. You know it's the will of God. You've prayed. You've fasted. You believe it to be done. Now you're speaking faith. Lord, I thank you that you're doing it. I believe. But you don't see it. And you're... you're you're on this journey and you're kind of frustrated. Lord, why am I not seeing this? So instead of being foolish and start getting silly and unscriptural and saying something like, well, I guess God doesn't answer prayer or something stupid like that. How many knows that God has not called us to be stupid? Amen. Okay. So let's not do that. So let, let's stay in faith now. And let's say, Lord, I don't understand why I'm not seeing this yet. So I need you to give me revelation. What is hindering this answer? Now, let's say you're praying for a lost loved one, and you believe. And so you've moved now from asking to believing. Lord, I thank you that you're at work moving in my, my son or daughter or whatever. I thank you that you're at work in their life. I thank you that the Holy Spirit is brooding over them, granting repentance. I thank you because of my prayers, your angels are at work in their life. And, and, and the enemy's not going to have them. And you, you say, Lord, but I haven't seen it yet. So why, why am I not seeing it yet? And what if the Lord shows you, I've heard you, but there is a hindering spirit in their life that is hindering them. And now you need to take authority over that. So God shows you the hindrance to the answer. And so now that you have revelation, you say in Jesus' name, and God may show you what it is. In Jesus' name, I bind this spirit that's hindering my child from getting saved. You will not have them. You will release them in Jesus' name. And then, because God showed you the hindrance, now, all of a sudden, the next time you see them at Thanksgiving or whatever, they start actually being open to the gospel and talking to you. You know what's happening? Your faith is now yielding to the answer. But along your journey, you're sitting here in faith, but you're not seeing it. You need revelation as to why you're not seeing it. What is blocking, what is hindering this from coming forth? Is this making sense tonight? Because I really feel this is important. Because, see, a lot of times we're praying about all kinds of different things. People are praying about a job, and they really need a job. 
I mean, they got to pay their bills, and if they don't, they're going to get evicted. It's serious. And they know the Bible says he'll supply my needs. I mean, you know by praying this, you're praying the will of God. I need to pay my bills or whatever it is. You know you're praying the will of God. So here you are empty. Have you come, Lord, I need this. Show me. Lord, first off, you're praying, Lord, I need this answer, and you've got, you got a scripture. You write it down. You said you would supply my needs according to your riches and glory. I need a job, and so, Lord, I'm coming before you humbly and ask you to open up provision in my life in Jesus' name. And now that I've sincerely prayed about this, and maybe you've committed some times of fasting, and, Lord, I believe it to be done, so now you move into faith. You quit asking, now you're believing. Lord, I thank you that you are moving to open up what I need. Because the Bible says, you'll supply my needs. I thank you that you're doing it. I think your Holy Spirit is moving and your angels are at work. This is happening, but yet you don't see it yet. You need to say, Lord, is there a hindrance to this? And if there is, where is it? And God may show you something in your life like you are walking in unforgiveness over here. And until you get this right, your prayer is not going to be answered. Or he may say, your life in this area is in sin. You're out of my will. You know, maybe you took, maybe you geographically did something or whatever, and you ended up, you didn't mean to, but you're out of God's will, and now you're asking for something out of the will. And God's saying, look, you, you missed it. Get back in my will, then it'll open. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe the home is out of order. Maybe there's a sin in your life. Or maybe it's just simply that there's some kind of a spiritual battle, and the Lord says you're coming under warfare, take authority over it. And then as you get the breakthrough in prayer, your faith yields to, all of a sudden, the application that went through on the internet, you get a call, now you've got an interview. It moved from the substance of faith to the reality of now you're having a phone call interview for a job. Whatever it was, see, I believe in my experience I believe it's extremely important that we don't get unscriptural. A lot, of, a lot of people do this because they don't have a relationship. They say, well, I guess God's just not going to do it. I guess it's not God's will or whatever. Well, here's the problem with that. It's unscriptural. That's the problem. If God said he would supply your needs, then you saying that I've prayed about it and God's not going to supply my needs, you're calling God a liar, and you're wrong because God will supply your needs. Amen? So we need to stay in faith, and we need to say, Lord, if I'm not seeing this, why am I not seeing this? Show me what is the hindrance. Now, here's the thing. God may, because my wife and I have dealt with this a few times, we're praying about something, and we're in faith, and God shows us something, and we get a major breakthrough, but yet then something else seems to be hindering. We're like, what in the world? And so we're saying, Lord, what? And then the Lord has to show something else that's coming against us or show something else. Sometimes it's not just one thing that's trying to hinder you. Sometimes it can be a couple things that's trying to hinder. But we stay in faith that God is at work. He's doing it. How many knows God is faithful? If we abide in him and his words abide in us, we can ask what we will and it will be done. I could keep going, quoting scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture about keep asking, keep seeking, keep, keep knocking. He will do it. You ask, oh, it will be answered. Seek, you will find him. Knock and it will be open. So anybody that tries to argue with me, well, it's just not God's will. Well, it depends on what you're praying. If you're praying that you get a big yacht and maybe a bunch of jet skis and, 
you know, all these things like that, or you're going to live on the Riviera. Maybe not God's will. Maybe God's not going to answer your little prayer. But when you're praying about certain things, yes, it is God. It is his will, and we need to stand in faith until we see it. All right, and then the last thing I wanted to say was this. I mentioned this outside of the sermon to you guys, but is idols. I believe this is a big blockage. Just like unforgiveness can be a blockage, sin, a home being out of order, is different things that can lock things up where you're not getting an answer. Frustrating. Idols. I felt God show me this. Idols can be anything. It can be your good name and reputation and your status. How many of those that can be an idol? Your career, your 401k, oh, that can, that can be an idol. Money and material things, that can be an idol. Relationships can be an idol. Some people want so bad to be married or to have something. There's nothing wrong with desiring to be married, but it can be an idol if you're not careful. Some people, it's just different things. Sex can be an idol. To some people, a particular material object that they have too much affection for can be an idol. Uh, to another person, it can be another thing. I mean, being popular, being accepted can be an idol. And I, I suspect that the idol of money and the idol of acceptance will cause a lot of people one day to take the mark of the beast that maybe wouldn't have. But idols, we need to ask ourselves, Lord, show me every idol. Sex can be an idol. Idols can be things, not only things that you put before God and alongside him, but I want you to consider this. An idol is anything that your affection is on that that affection that you have for that should be the Lord's. But you have affection for this that belongs to the Lord. Did y'all just hear what I said? That's an idol. Also, an idol is anything trusted in other than the Lord. This is, I think that this will get the point across, but it's almost hard to relate to. This minister knew a guy in the Middle East that was one of those oil barons or whatever that had just great wealth and he had like a million dollars in one of his accounts, and he would get really nervous when it got below a million. And the guy was like, man, you got like so many, almost a million dollars. Why are you freaking out just because it gets below? He said, I don't know. It just makes, I got to have that in there. there was, see, that's his idol. And as soon as it gets below that, it bothers him. So anything can be an idol, and where there's idols in our lives, then there's iniquity in us. And so there's going to be some kind of an unhealthy iniquity of, of love and affection and all that toward those idols, but also there's going to be some kind of a fear connected to it. This is really important what I'm saying. If somebody has an idol, they are going to be afraid of losing that idol. So there is fear connected to idolatry. Do y'all catch that? So bondage to fear. And people may wonder, you know, why, why do I have this this fear in my life, or, you know, it may be whatever, paranoia, nightmares, panic attacks, some kind of a bondage. You know that there's something with fear there. Well, maybe there's idols. So idols produces iniquity in people, and it also produces a bondage to fear. And the more free we are from our idols, the, more, the less iniquity that's in us, and the more free we are from fear. And the enemy is going to lose his grip because he doesn't have anything. 
I love what Jesus said. The prince of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. There wasn't any idols in him. There wasn't any pride in Jesus. There wasn't any rebellion or lusts. Jesus said, look, he's coming, but he doesn't have anything in me to exploit, you see. So we need to ask the Lord to show us, and I felt this for River of Life, because we're dealing with things territorially, etc. It's time. It's time for us for a new season. We all know it. We all feel it. And we're praying into it. But for us to get from where we are to where we're going, here's where we're at, River of Life. God's given us some promises. Y'all look this way. God's given us as a church, he's given us promises, and we've prayed about it. So now we're in this phase right here about these promises. We have them. It's just like a check. We have it, even though we don't actually see it yet. Paul said, I don't go by what I see. I go by faith, you see. We don't see it yet. We don't feel everything yet. That's because we're walking by faith. But see, while we're on this journey, we're coming up against spiritual forces that's trying to resist that. The enemy does not want what God has for us to take place. So here we are. We've got it by faith. We're in a war, and we need to say, Lord, is there any hindrance? Is there anything? And I felt the Lord speak to me that we need to make sure on this fast we're going into to ask the Lord, is there any idols in our lives? Let's cleanse our way. Let's ask the Lord, and here's how you pray. Lord, I ask your forgiveness for, and God shows us, you know, Lord, I ask your forgiveness for any of these idols in me about this, specifically about that. I can see where this has been too important. I can see where this has been a distraction. I've put too much time and money into this because it's been an idol. Forgive me where I've had these fears in my life about losing this, that, and the other because it was an idol. I repent of all this iniquity in me of idolatry. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me. On the other side of that is great freedom. Amen? All right. Well, we're talking about moving from curse to blessing. So tonight is steps to freedom. Hopefully this really helped you guys. We talked about Jesus as the standard, the Holy Spirit, what was paid for at the cross. And ultimately, how do we get free from it? How do we get on the other side? See, when we repent of any idolatry, that's canceling any legal ground. And now the enemy will be released, you see. So Lord, thank you so much for hearing and answering our prayers tonight. Thank you for this word. Thank you for sealing this in our hearts. Help us, Lord, in these latter days to cleanse our way that we're truly going to walk in the freedom that we would be able to say with humility but with confidence that we've so deeply repented in our lives that even though the prince of this world may come, he doesn't actually have anything in us because the cross is enough and we can put everything on the cross and be totally free, be totally cleansed. So, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.